0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: Are you looking to wager on all the big games in sports? Well, I have great news for you. online they are the number one source for all your college sports betting this season. Just came off of all the madness in March, and obviously now MLB, horse racing, golf, you name it NFL coming up in the fall it's all there with the latest odds bracket contest team matchups and game trends at bet online updated odds for everything from live games to conference championships right through to the Final Four and Championship game. Just lived it, doing it. It is your sports betting headquarters all season long. Head on over to the website today or use your mobile device to sign up and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Be sure to use our promo code BELIEVE to receive your bonus. That's B-L-E-A-V to receive your bonus. It's BetOnline.ag where the game starts
0: what's going on everybody paul bissonette here from the spit and chicklets
2: podcast and now the tnt broadcast i just want to give everybody a shout out and make sure you tune in to
0: the ml sports platter
1: the ml sports platter back with you all over the major platforms download subscribe rate and review we are brought to you by stanley law offices stanley law offices together They'll work to get you the maximum reward and a big-time thank you as well to associate sponsors, Welch & Company Jewelers, Liverpool Physical Therapy, our awesome, awesome friends over at Camilla's Golf Club and Bowers & Company CPAs. And I do want to mention... Another huge thank you to associate sponsor, St. Bonaventure University. That's right. SBU offers an entirely online Master of Arts in Sports Journalism right now for newcomers to the field. There are no graduate exam requirements for admission, and you can enroll with a bachelor's degree in any field. Your love of the game and drive toward innovative storytelling finds a home. At SBU, this sports journalism program can be completed in less than two years with flexibility built into the curriculum. Experienced faculty teach interviewing skills, journalistic ethics, and other essential skills for success in this profession. Hey, a lot of students have gone on to cover sports on the biggest stage, including myself, Woj, Tim Bontemps, and Mike Beccaro, and Donna DeTota. Get in touch today with an enrollment advisor at SBUJournalism.com. That's SBUJournalism.com, and learn how you can become a sports journalist. What an honor and a pleasure to bring onto the program one of the best broadcasters who has ever lived. When you think about going back to his Sports Center anchoring days at ESPN, his baseball broadcasting career with ESPN Radio when they gained the broadcast rights for Major League Baseball, being in the radio booth from 2002 to 2004, uh, replacing Michael Kay as John Sterling's play by play partner. Uh, The whole thing, the call, the Aaron Boone, uh, Game 7 homer, 11th inning off Tim Wakefield. And since 2005, he's been the play-by-play man for another storied franchise, the L.A. Dodgers. This guy, he's an Emmy Award recipient, National Radio Hall of Famer. You name it, he was the 17th sportscaster admitted into the hall. And uh, the awards and and accolades, they go on and on and on. Really, he probably doesn't even need any introduction, but I have to do it. Here he is, broadcast legend, Charlie Steiner. Charlie, what a pleasure to have you. How are you? I'm
0: terrific, thank you.
1: What do you like this year going into the season the most about the Dodgers? And what do you like least about this team, Charlie?
0: I think I'd rather answer it this way. Last year, they won 111 games. They really weren't tested at all until the postseason, when, of course, the Padres beat them. This year, coming in, even if they win 100, they'd be 11 short of last year's remarkable run. This year, the Dodgers are in a different spot than they've been in over the past 10 years since school. Guggenheim took over the franchise, they go into this season with significant questions. You know, you've got a a rookie second baseman Miguel Vargas, who by all indications looks like he's going to be a real player. Like him a lot. You know, Trey Turner is gone. You know, one of the elite players in the game. And you've got a veteran shortstop, Miguel Rojas, who began his career with the Dodgers, now returning at the latter stages of his career short. And then a question at third base, Max Muncy, who has really struggled the last couple of years. You know he's going to hit 30, 35 home runs. You know he's going to hit about 235 or so. And that is the infield. And of course, Freddie Freeman is as good as it gets at first base. Will Smith, one of the elite catchers in the game, and Mookie Betts is in right. Then comes center field, which again at the moment is relatively uncertain, as is who will start in left. David Peralta will start against right-handed hitters. So there are questions. In the previous decade, there were few, if any, questions going into the season about the Dodgers, and the only questions were maybe one or two rookies who would make the opening day roster or not. So there are questions going in. That's not to say this is not still a very good team, and it is. Are they going to win 111? No, nobody will. But the fact of the matter is they go in with a a fair degree of, well, I shouldn't say uncertainty, but sufficient question marks about this roster going in. On the other side of the coin, you still have Arizona, a young team seemingly heading in the right direction. Colorado continues to be directionless, and the Giants are okay. So it would appear to be a two-team race, Padres and the Dodgers, and at least on paper, and it's not quite opening day yet, on paper, the Padres look a little bit more interesting.
1: You know, Dave Roberts, he's been manager since 2016. And in that time frame, Charlie, you know better than anybody, this team spends a lot of money, you know. And I remember when the Yankees just suspended, they were the, you know, evil empire. They probably still are to a lot of people. Now the Padres, Dodgers, and Mets, you know, at times blow the Yankees away in spending power. And the Dodgers have some things to show for it. You know, they've got a bunch of West Division titles since he took over. Uh, They've won pennants in 17, 18, and 20 in his tenure. They've got one World Series when it was during the Corona year. Do you think, I know it's hard to say like a, a sports team with how hard it is to win, no matter how much you, you spend. Well, they should have more. But with what they spend, do you ever go down that road of, wow, like just one World Series, X amount of pennants, no. X amount, you don't yeah, do that ever?
0: I really don't. Okay. Like, all I can do is look at the players on the field on the day of the game okay. over the course of a month, over the course of a season. You know, it's that's not my job to determine whether or not they are getting their money's worth. Can they play? How well can they play? And that's my job. But in terms of are they getting their money's worth? Fact of the matter is the Dodgers in that period of time as led the major leagues in attendance they averaged forty-eight thousand a night they put on a terrific show and again this is also sports entertainment above and beyond everything else uh so i don't i don't really think in terms of the money it's quality of play and look they have been contenders uh not pretenders but contenders now for virtually every year that the Guggenheim folks have, have owned the club. So I got no kicks
1: with that. Charlie Steiner with us here. A couple more quick ones for the voice of the L.A. Dodgers. You know, you did Yankee games for a few years, and now you're doing the Dodgers, two trademark franchises, arguably the two trademark franchises. And by the way, you can't beat those uniforms on a daily basis as well. Um, give me some a similarity or, or a difference you know, calling games for these two for these two franchises. Where where did things kind of line up, and then other things were completely wild and, and and different.
0: Well, one thing about the Yankees and one thing about the Dodgers, as you mentioned, I mean they are the, among the preeminent franchises, not just in baseball but in all of sports. And so, whenever the Yankees were playing, especially on the road, it was an event. It was the home team's biggest series of the year. Same thing with the Dodgers. The Yankees virtually always sold out at home. The Dodgers sell out virtually every game at the Dodger Stadium. They lead the majors in, in road attendance. Point B, when these two teams play, they were more than just baseball games. It's not like, oh, the Reds and Royals have a big Saturday afternoon game where they're giving away stuff to attract fans. People came to see the Dodgers. They came to see the Yankees. And there, so there, it was an enormity and continues to be an enormity about the games that they play over the course of the season. And some players can handle that and others can't.
1: Okay, Charlie, did you know that on Wikipedia, which I, I don't really trust that much, did you know that you have two ages? They, they list you as 73 to 74. I don't know what one you want to pick, you know? You,
0: <laughs> you know, I, I found that out. I was, uh, I was on with uh, my friends uh, Dave Sims and Rick Ridd. Oh, I uh, love uh, Dave. Yeah, yeah. And, and so I was on the air with them, and they, they pointed that out. I was born <laughs> in either 48 or 49. Um, I, I can tell you I will be 74 in July. So okay. The seventeenth of July, nineteen forty-nine, a day that I'll never remember.
1: All right, well, I'm glad we cleared that up. Um, you know, you were when when I was when I was a kid, and you know, going through middle school, high school, Sports Center was was it, man? I mean, you, Dan Patrick, Keith Olbermann, Stuart Scott, through the years, Rich Eisen, all you guys, man, and and I just it laid such a groundwork type of a thing for other TV. You know, channels, cable, channel, like, oh, here, da na na, da na na, and the commercials, and ah, oh, man, it, it's just the Sports Center of today isn't even close to what it was then, even. But when you look back at those days, when did you realize that Sports Center was Sports Center and ESPN was ESPN? Because I grew up in Central New York, I reside here now, and you know, Big East happened with the, you know, w- w- with ESPN. They they went together. Dave Gabbat, the TV contract. And then everything kind of came together and the anchors and the personalities and Tarico, and you and all, all the, you know, all, all the, the sports events. When did you realize you were a part of something that was going to change sports television?
0: We were the last ones to realize that. And that's not a false sense of uh, humility or anything. We didn't know. I mean, we worked in Bristol, Connecticut, which was halfway between New York and Boston two hours to either city, an hour too far to either. So there we were sequestered in the middle of Connecticut. Occasionally we'd go out on the road and you know, I would cover boxing and then you know college football and baseball and so on and doing stuff on the road. Then we were beginning to get a sense of it. But I got there, look, I got there in 1988. And that was as they were just beginning to try to, You turned the Queen Mary in the middle of the ocean, Sports Center being that Queen Mary. And I was among the first, and I just mentioned that chronologically and nothing more than that. But within the space of about a year and a half, two years, Keith and Dan arrived, Robin arrived, Tariko arrived, um, Robin Roberts arrived, Penny Maine. Lee was already there. Over was already there. Uh, The late Tom Meese was already there. And so in the space of just a couple of years, this surge of talent showed up on a a sports station that uh, many didn't think would last. And then all of a sudden, it exploded onto the scene. And as I said maybe 5 years into my journey I was there for 14 I guess when the sports center commercials not just began but started to take hold did we begin to realize oh boy this is this is a whole lot bigger and more than I know I bargained for
1: all right my last question for you I know you're a busy guy you got stuff to prepare for and you're just constantly on the go this has just been an absolute thrill you grew up a Brooklyn Dodgers fan I believe in the Jewish yes. community and family in Malvern, New York. And if people don't know where, right? And so it's a village in the town of Hempstead in Nassau County on Long Island in New York. That's the best, you know, New York accent I can give you, by the way. Um, but I, I've always said, Charlie, that if I could take a time machine and go back and do one thing in sports, it would be 1950s baseball in New York City. Ebbets Field, Polo Grounds, Yankee Stadium, Willie Mickey and the Duke every single year, a participant from one of the boroughs in the World Series. What was it like growing up in that world? Holy cow. Wow.
0: Well, understand where I grew up. Malvern was a little commuter town. We're about 13, maybe 14 miles from Manhattan. Um, And in my neighborhood, it was basically either Dodger fans or Yankee fans. I was a Brooklyn Dodger fan because I first time I heard a game on the radio, the Brooklyn Dodgers were on the radio and there was Vin's voice and mm. the crack of the bat and the sound of the crowd. That's what I want to be when I grow up. So I started announcing Dodger games in the basement of my home. you know, when I'm seven years old, and I'm screaming my fool head off, and my parents are just pleading with me to tone it down. Uh, and then fast forward 65 years or whatever it was because of COVID, I'm announcing the World Series from my living room for <laughs> real. Um, I, 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 it's safe to say no one will ever have that experience again. Yeah. But, yeah, I was, that was a time when you had Willie, Mickey, and the Duke. Yankees, Dodgers, Giants. Dodgers left town. I was lost. My team had walked away. I became a Yankee fan through 62 when the Mets were born. Then I became a Met fan. And then, of course, ultimately, you never forget your your first love, the Dodgers. And the guy that I wanted to be like, Ben Scully, the Dodgers come along and offer me a job. And, you know, now I'm entering my 19th year here. So I don't know. That's a long-winded answer. But, uh, you know, what a long, strange trip it's been, and it sure has been fun.
1: Well, we've all enjoyed watching and listening. You are truly, truly uh, one of the legends in the industry, and keep it going. Um, This has just been an unbelievable thrill. I met you at Yankee Stadium about 16, 17 years ago for a series against the the, uh, Mariners, although maybe I'll have to check Wikipedia for that. But, um, you know, just... uh, just an unbelievable guy. You're, you're, you're a great broadcaster and a, and a really cool dude, and I appreciate you coming on for a few minutes. We'll keep on listening. We'll keep on watching. Have a great 2023 uh, season with the Dodgers, Charlie, and hopefully we'll see you soon.
0: You're entirely too kind. Thank you.
1: The ML Sports Platter is brought to you by Stanley Law Offices, Rosie's Corner, Liverpool Physical Therapy, and Bowers & Company CPAs. And with that, one great guest to another, Syracuse basketball Beatman and insider, Mike Waters from The Post Standard and Syracuse.com joins us next here on The Platter. But first, this. ML Sports Platter back with you all over the major platforms. Make sure you download, subscribe, rate, and review. We are brought to you by Barks and Rec Doggy Daycare, Ken's Auto Detailing, Chick-fil-A of Cicero and Clay, and our outstanding friend Brian Conboy of Mass Mutual New York State. Tax-efficient retirement planning. Go with Brian today at Advisors.com. MassMutual.com. So thrilled to bring onto the program a good friend of mine. He covers the Syracuse basketball team and he has done it for a long, long time. Mike Waters, my guy. Syracuse.com and the Post Standard. A must follow on Twitter as well. At Mike Waters, S Y R. And I should throw in, he's the past president of U.S. Basketball Writers Association, a UNC grad, and uh, one of the all around good guys as well. Mike Waters, thanks for a few, buddy. How are you?
2: Michael, I'm doing well. How about yourself?
1: I'm hanging in there, uh, hoping the nice weather is basically going to arrive during this interview. Um, I mean, really nice. I, you know, we haven't had a lot of winter, but I mean, really nice. Not you know, 45, 50. Oh, the sun's out. There's still snow. No, no, no. 75. Mike Waters and Mike Lindsley are on the golf course. That's what I'm looking for. Um, <laughs> let's start out with this. It was a wild ending to the Syracuse season. When did you feel? in your heart of hearts, that Bayheim was actually going to say, I'm done?
2: Well, we had debated it, you know, myself and some of my colleagues, especially Donna DeToto, we'd been debating it all season long. Uh, there were different moments during the season where we said to each other, that felt a little different. That, that, that felt different um, from Jim Beheim. the way he was acting, the way he talked. I, actually, the first moment was early in the year, when they had the ring of honor ceremony for both Jim Beheim and Pearl Washington. And it was before it was at the Georgetown game. Yep. And that felt different for one, Jim Beheim spoke at halftime of a game. That never happened before, you know, in, in my career covering the team. And, you know, normally Jim refuses to do any of those halftime ceremonies because he's inside the locker room. Uh, so that felt different The The emotion in his voice that day felt different, but then the, a lot of times in the rest of the season he had the same fire he would talk about the young team developing and talk a little bit a little bit about getting them ready for next year and how the plan had always been that this was going to be a young team that would grow and that he would look forward to coaching them next season so you know every once in a while we'd get a little confused and maybe thrown off the scent a little bit um I got a little bit of a paranoid feeling uh, on the weekend of the 20th anniversary celebration up at the Dome. Um, I actually had a story written. <laughs> I, I had written a story before the Wake Forest game at, at the finale at the Dome, uh, just in case he surprised us because uh, I wanted to be able to have a story ready to go. So we had stories written uh, and prepared. But that was more out of paranoia and not so much of anything we have been told. Um, but then I, I did get a tip um, from someone fairly, you know, close to the basketball program's inner sanctum, there that um, whenever they lost at the ACC tournament, whether that was Wednesday to the Wake Forest or the next day to I guess you know whoever they were going to run into, I guess it might have been Miami, um, but whenever they lost, I was told get ready, Jim's going to retire mm-hmm. and they're going to announce that Red Autry is the successor. It didn't go quite as smoothly as all that, it's, as you know, it wasn't quite that you know, cut and dried and it's smooth, but, um, it did have us all prepared and thinking Like we weren't, I was not shocked when the Wednesday at the ACC tournament took place.
1: Gotcha. Um, I, I kind of thought that there were some things this year that that were a little different too. Um, you know, but then Jim kind of played it at the end, how he always plays it. You know, he, well, I gave you my retirement speech. Does that mean you're retiring? You have to talk to university, you know, butting heads, uh, throwing darts at people, maybe taking darts from others, whatever the case may be. I and mean, he loves the drama. He's like the Aaron Rodgers of college basketball coaches. He loves that, although he didn't go into the dark. Um, I would have thought that maybe the time was when you saw that he bought a $10 million house on Skinny Atlas Lake and invited you to be roommates. Maybe that was the, you know, the time, but you know, you didn't, you didn't disclose that. Did you get a sense, though, that like when all this was going on and the snarkiness and all that, and then it officially happened that you kind of, once the dust settled, you were like, yeah, maybe it happened a little weird. Maybe it happened a little disrespectful on the university side or or gym side or whatever. But in the end, this is kind of the Jim Beheim way to go out, right? Isn't it? <laughs> I mean, it is.
2: Well, I tell you what. I think we all knew we were never getting the Mike Krzyzewski way. the the, the announce one year beforehand and then basically have to take the rocking chair tour through the ACC (laughs) with, you know, I I think from one standpoint, I think that would have made sense. And I could have seen Jim doing it if he could have kept it only to basketball, if he could have kept it to, yes, I'm going to coach one more year, but I'm only going to coach it. And basically I do want to give red Autry and his staff a chance to go out and recruit the next class. And be able to honestly tell them, we're the next coaching staff. I don't have to worry about what kind of answer I give a recruit, and and I don't have to worry about seemingly seemingly lying to anybody. Um, and it would make I think if he could just keep it to that, he would have done it. But I don't think he wanted to go to Boston College in Pittsburgh, and you know have Pittsburgh give him some kind of you know special engraved you know coal or steel beam uh he didn't want to go to louisville and get a you know
1: kfc uh, yum center of basket bourbon, of chicken yeah you
2: know yeah uh, and a, you know, a nice little specialized bottle of bourbon mashed you potatoes know, and gravy from Miami KFC. and get like yeah. you know a yeah. chest full of sand you know a pirate's chest <laughs> you know it's um, yeah so no i don't think we were ever going to get that i was a little surprised that it didn't go a little bit more smoothly that this shouldn't have taken anybody really by surprise at the university and any kind of real communication at any point in time. We should have had like a contingency plan in place. Whether, okay, if, Jim's, if Jim retires uh, this season, if he has one year left on his contract, what we're going to do is we're going to honor the parameters of that contract, pay him what he's supposed to be paid, even if he's now in a consultant role. And then after one year, you know, and we negotiate all this. Or if he wants to come back for another year, I don't, I, I'm a still a little confused how, given the fact that we had a plan, we had an ironclad plan, you knew who your next guy was gonna be, you, know, you, you knew you were gonna give Jim a role in the athletic department. I mean, if you didn't, you're crazy. Um, I, don't, I don't know why, we had, you know, and to say that you didn't have time to talk with the chancellor between the Friday before the finale when Jim supposedly told Wildcat, Wild Hack. Uh, that it was that it was there was going to be time that you didn't have to, you, you didn't have forty five minutes somewhere the chancellor we couldn't get on a conference call I, I, you know I'm not saying people are lying to me but I'm it, it it just doesn't I just can't wrap my head around the fact that that's really the reason why we had to go through that song and dance Laurel and Hardy routine of oppressor down in Greensboro.
1: Mike Waters, SU, yeah, I agree. SU men's basketball beatman and insider Mike Waters with us, Syracuse.com, of the Post Standard. A couple quickies for you, Mike. I'll let you run. I know uh, things are, are, are crazy busy. in uh, Red was always the guy. You know that. I know that. Um, they love his communication skills, his recruiting skills, um, you know, the work ethic. And, obviously, if you compare that to Jerry, Jerry has that. But the separator, of course, is well, what if we hire Jerry McNamara and we suck? That's a PR nightmare if we have to fire him. That's always something you have to think about. So I understand that sort of element with the university. But I ask you this. If he didn't retire, or I guess retire after being fired or retire with threat of rising, however it happened, um, if, th- if this wasn't it, is what my point is, and he called it quits before, when was the perfect year for him to go? Was it 16, surprise Final Four, 18, surprise Sweet 16 with his boys, Buddy and Jimmy? When was the perfect time before this?
2: Well, obviously, in Jim's mind, there was never another time. There was never a, not only was it not a perfect time, it just wasn't time for him. He wasn't ready to hang it up.
1: He just always wanted a coach. Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: Now, oh, from dark. the outside looking in, if, to give you an answer to your question, because I don't want to be like some folks and not actually answer it, um, you to could. me, the best one was 2016. Me too. Because the year before, at the end of the 2015 season, which you it ended with the self-imposed ban and mm-hmm. the sanctions coming down, and you, you, you announced that Mike Hopkins would be taking over in three years.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Great. Okay. But then you, 2016 rolls around and you make the surprise run to the final four and everyone's deliriously happy. And on top of that, you have Tyler Lydon coming back. You've got an incoming class that is going to include Andrew White, John Gillen. Uh, you have Frank Howard, who's going to be returning in the backcourt. Yes, you are, you are losing Benetje and Cooney. But there were a lot of high hopes for that team the following year. Yeah. You know, theoretically, you're leaving the program in really good standing for Mike Hopkins. Uh, You know, it would have been Hopkins took over then. You know, not that that was, you know, that doesn't really factor into why I'm picking it. I'm picking it more because of you get to go out on the ultimate high note of a Final Four and you leave the program in pretty good standing for your next guy. I mean, listen, but again, it's not when Jim wanted to. and. That's the personal decision, and if in 2016, which is seven full years ago, he wasn't ready to hang him up and listen, you know, we, you know, we thought at the time, oh, geez, he's uh, he's like 70 or 71 or whatever. That's uh, that's pretty old, you know. But you know, we, we've seen Mike Shishovsky pass uh, coach past that age. Rick Pitino is about to coach past that age. Leonard Hamilton at Florida State's coaching past and into his 70s. So you know, now you look at it, you're like, okay, I get it. You know, he wanted to coach a few more years, and then I think there wasn't exactly the right time um, for a while after that. I think, you know, you missed that one opportunity. And I, then I think the next off-ramp didn't really, I don't think was made clear. I don't think he ever wanted to do the Hollywood ending, you know, riding off into the sunset with Jimmy and Buddy. Okay. You know, everyone was telling me he was going to be last year when his, you know, coached his sons and then retired. I kept telling people that will not be the way Jim does it because he, that's just not his style. It's almost similar to the not uh, take the rocking chair tour of the, of the ACC, you know, with a, with an announcement made ahead of time. It's just, that's not him.
1: Well, I know taking attention away from them would have been something for him too. I mean, for as much as the ego reigns, there is that Jim Beheim family man kind of, kind of thing. And he loves his boys. So I, I I can see that. Um,
2: I think also he wanted to come back because they brought in that big freshman class. And I think they saw it as a foundational class. I think the coaches knew in their heart of hearts there were going to be a few bumps in the road this year with such a young team. And college basketball has gotten very old uh, with the transfer Mm -hmm. portal and and players getting a fifth year because of the COVID year. So I think they knew. But I I think they were really encouraged by that class and, and that, you know, I think maybe he kind of knew he was going to have to take this year because he didn't want to be this year to be his successor's first year. Because be, there was
1: going to be a few bumps in the road. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. All right, in closing, I mean, Mike, you've been doing this forever. Um, college basketball is just – it's it's insanity. I mean, the NIL, the transfer portal, uh, how do you actually go recruit? What's the strategy? Do we build a foundational class? And we don't know, you know, if anybody's coming back after year one. I mean, you know, and that's probably part of the whole, like, okay, Red's our guy, like – Autry's go, 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 you know, start the, start your process, start the program. Um, where do you land on the future of this program now without Jim, you know, where good, bad, ugly recruiting, NIL transfer portal, red, new coach, uh guy staying on uh, the recent Judah Mintz news that who knows where he ends up. Uh, I mean, where, where, where are we with SU basketball moving,
2: moving ahead here? That's a great question. And it's so hard to know exactly. Like there's a possibility of next year's starting five could be Judah Mince, JJ Starling. I'm just gonna make some stuff. Chris Bell, Benny Williams, and Jesse Edwards. Yep. Yeah, you know, that is a really good looking starting five. Tall in the backcourt, athletic at every position, uh enough experience on the floor, you know, no fresh, you know, a few sophomores starting, but no freshmen. And, you know, so uh, that's a good team. On the flip side, Judah could go pro. Jesse could decide not to take the extra year, go home, you know, go play pro ball. Yep. Uh, you know, and now all of a sudden, you're looking at okay, JJ Starling's in the backcourt. I got Chris Bell and Benny. You know, and I'm assuming both of those guys are coming back. We haven't heard for sure. Uh, <laughs> what if you lose one? Another? Yeah, I, so I don't know exactly where next year is going to go. Now, if they get some semblance of that first lineup I threw out there for next year. I think that gets the new staff off to a really good start. Yeah. I think it gets some, some recruiting traction. Now, I don't know if you're ever going to get back to the heyday, you know, of where you were, a, you know, a few of those golden year eras in, in, when you were in the Big East, you know, that that stretch in the 80s from oh. like 87 to 89 and 90. Yep. Uh, you, you had the early, you know, the, the Jerry McNamara, Hakeem Warwick years. And then you had the, to me, like the ultimate golden era from – from about 2009, 2010, all the way through the 2013 Final Four. Um, you know, you look back at the records of some of those teams, it's it's hard to even imagine now, you know, a Syracuse team going through a season with like 34 and three records. Um, but I think you get some, you know, so I don't know if you're going back there because you're not in the Big East anymore. You don't have a Hall of Famer at the helm. You're in the ACC. It's difficult. Uh, college basketball's changed and continues to change, but, I think there's a chance that ne- if next year, if you get a, if you get a little bit lucky here and you get some guys back, uh, there, there's a chance that in year one, if you can be successful, that gets you a chance to get out on the road recruiting and you can convince some people that Syracuse is still a place that you want to come play, that it's still a destination uh, for for players. And you know, I'm interested. It's it's very intriguing and. Listen, if I'm a Syracuse fan, I'd be intrigued too. You don't know which way it's going to go, but I think there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic.
1: I agree, and I think Red's going to do a nice job. I really do. Um, you know, I think moving moving right to him and letting him kind of put boots on the ground is is a good thing in today's day and age. Wow, what a challenge, no doubt. Mike Waters, Syracuse men's basketball beatman and insider Syracuse.com of the Post-Standard at Mike Waters. S-Y-R, he's got a couple hundred followers until 16,000. So get him there on Twitter. And, of course, follow him all over the uh, major media platforms. Mikey, great to uh, catch up with you, my man. Uh, really appreciate your support recently with uh, tough times for me. And uh, seeing you at the Dome is always a bright day for me. Thanks, bud.
2: Well, it's always good seeing you. It's always good being up at the basketball games. Uh, that's where that's my happy place, right? Uh, and I know you, too. Uh, we love it. It's always good seeing you. And I'm, I'm glad we were able to get together.